Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. So here on the Dover Download Podcast, we have met some new entrepreneurial businesses, and we've met some businesses that are at the mid-stage of their career. Today, we're going to talk with Christian Theodore of Forward Merch. Forward Merch has been in Dover for longer than a mid-career, but maybe not an elderly career. Christian will tell us about that and tell us about his business and his hopes for the future of his business. Christian, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. If you want to tell the listener a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Forward Merch, and then we'll dive into some content. Absolutely. So Forward Merch is a entertainment merchandising company. We specialize in Broadway, immersive experiences, and rock and roll. Anything from Weird Al Yankovic to the craziest death metal you'd ever hear, um, and anywhere in between that on the music side. On the Broadway side, we do Hamilton. We do about 80% of Broadway right now as, as it stands. We make two deliveries to Broadway each week, and we, we do immersive experiences. Uh, we do Beyond Van Gogh experience. We do the King Tut experience. We also do the Friends experience and the Office experience. So they're like immersive experiences. You go in and you become part of the scene, part of the set. And you go through and we run the gift shops for all that, all the trinkets, all of the merchandise and everything like that. Forward Merch had moved to One Washington Center in Dover in 1996, I believe. I joined the company in 2000. We bought the company in 2014. And that was right around when the Hamilton, we we picked up a partner. We were doing the Spider-Man musical. (laughs) And our partner at the time was saying, I don't know that I'd be all that... uh, Positive on the the Spider Man connection, right? No, it was it was it was an absolute disaster. Uh, Spider Man was falling into the crowd. Yeah, it was an absolute disaster. So we were like, do we really want to venture into the uh, into the Broadway sector? Nothing ventured, nothing did. Exactly. So you know, the partner at the time, who was an associate, was saying, you know, I really like the way you guys work, and this is my partner Jeff was running it at, at the time. And, you know, I really like the way you guys work. I really like the quality of your merch. I like the fact you can turn things out so quickly. He said, I have some other projects coming on down the line. I'd really like to work with you guys some more. And we were like, yeah, we're open to whatever. And, you know, fast forward a couple months, he had called my partner, Jeff, and said, you know, I just went to a, a screening of this, of this musical called Hamilton, and I really feel like it's going to have legs. And we were like, oh, cool. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll try it out. Fast forward probably three weeks from that, we were saying, we're going to need a bigger facility because it absolutely exploded. Yep. And that's when we started to, to venture out and say, okay, where are we, wh- what's our next move here? Because we were in the fifth floor of the mill building at the time. Um, great starter space, but yeah, much better. 100%, you know, great, great for what it was, but sharing a freight elevator, doing all that stuff, you know, we, we, you know, we were growing to a, to a point where we needed to, you know, have our own building. And we started looking around at different areas and, you know, different towns and, you know, Dover's been my home and, and we've loved Dover and we were saying, you know, we need to find something here. And fortunately we found a spot 
on Venture Drive, 111 Venture Drive. And the occupant there had been doing signage for staples and office maxes and things like that. So he was kind of outfitted in the same way of printing. He was doing offset printing where we were doing, you know, textile printing. It all kind of blended together and we had he had some of the things that we would need to outfit our facility when we moved in so it was kind of we kind of lucked out there and, and we purchased the building moved all of our stuff at the absolute worst time it was christmas of 2000 i want to say 2016 we moved everything over right in the heat uh, in the heat of the um of the hamilton uprise where they were just, they were doing gangbusters and we do all the fulfillment for them, uh, for their web store and we got crushed. And it was a critical mistake, but we had to move. So we were working day and night tirelessly, you know, our employees, you know, put in a ton of hours and we finally dug ourselves out probably in February of that year, shipping out the Christmas uh, rush. And we, we, you know, you learn valuable lessons that way. Sure. And, you know, we've been there since. So what excites you about, your, I assume, based on some of your other comments, that there's a, a music connection that you have. But beyond that, how do you, how do you continue to want to keep the business going? How do you stay jazzed about your, uh, your day-to-day activities? Oh, that's an easy one. You have to have a passion for what you do. You 100% need to love, you know, the entertainment field. You have to love the music. You have to love you know, the challenge of every day of, you know, the, the high speed turnaround of everything that we do, you know, everything's, you know, these bands are only in a certain city each night. So you need to make sure that their merch is there when they need it so they can make the money, you know, right now with the way that the, um, the music industry is, you know, the, the only way that bands are making money is through merchandise with the, with everything going to digital, as far as record sales, you know, no one really buys CDs anymore. Vinyl has made a, made a comeback. We, we sell uh, quite a bit of vinyl, you know, through our web stores and things like that, but on the road, it's all merchandise and, you know, and the bands only tour for, you know, anywhere from four weeks to six weeks. And within that, they really need to capitalize on the, on the, on selling of the merch so, so they can be successful. So what goes into deciding what is the item to sell, the trinket, the t-shirt, the, how do the, how does a band come to you and say, this is how many we need and this is what it. Sure. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. You know, uh, the bands generally have an idea of what they want to sell. You know, they'll say, Hey, you know, we want to sell, you know, X amount of t-shirts, a hoodie, and then these trinkets items. Some bands come to us and say, Hey, you, you guys do this all year long. What's selling? What's the hot item? You know, is it a textile flag? Is it a shot glass? Is it a keychain? What's working out there right now in this environment? And, you know, and we'll kind of collaborate. We'll get, you know, we have a great art staff where I just send them over the, the, the art. And then a day later, sometimes an hour later, um, we'll get, we'll get mock-ups over and my staff will take it and get, get pricing, get minimums. We send it over to the band and then we order it and get it out on the road to them. So you really are full service. You, yeah. You're helping them from, Hey, I have an idea to let's fulfill that idea. The, the whole way. So we're very, uh, vertically integrated, um, which is, which is kind of our niche. A lot of merch companies either, you know, they, they have the bands and then they outsource all of the printing. They outsource everything. We do everything in-house. Yeah. From the artwork coming in to getting it mocked up to getting the art separated to it printing to it shipping out to its locations. We have it all under one roof. 
which really helps us because if somebody, if I have a band out on the road that's really doing really good numbers, they'll, they'll say, hey, Christian, I need X amount of shirts in the next town. Well, if I don't own my printing facility, I'm not getting that stuff printed. Whereas I can go in and say, okay, let's take this one off because I don't need it for another two days, put up this design, get it printed that day, uh, have it picked up and shipped out to the next available venue. So on the in-your-face sales, which is what I would call the sure. on-tour band, about how many clients do you have at any one time? Oh, that can vary from having five out to, to 12, okay. um, you know, and even more. You know, it all depends on the season, right? So, you know, generally it'll go, the summertime can be kind of a downswing a little bit just because a lot of these bands go over and do the festivals in Europe. Yeah. You know, spring and fall tend to be our big seasons running through. But, you know, with Broadway, it's all year right. long. So Broadway, you know, we're hitting it all year long. Um, and same thing with the um, exhibits that we're doing. Those are all year long, too. So there's kind of that ebb and flow where we start getting really heavy with the touring season. You know, Broadway is going to stay the same. And then once the touring season goes, goes down, you know, it stays consistent with the Broadway. You must get some sort of heads up that the band is going to tour. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's funny because we always we always joke that, they, we always seem to be the last thing that they lo- that that they worry about, and we're the most important thing because they're making the most profit on. But we'll always get that one guy that'll call you up and say, "Hey, uh, we start in two days in Texas, and you, you know we're, we're looking to get some stuff made." And we always laugh and say, "Oh, okay, you know you had to have known about about this tour." Right. You know, um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, but that's why we love it. It's that challenge of, all right, here we go, guys. Let's, let's get it all together. Let's get it mocked up. Let's get it. Let's get the raw goods ordered. Let's get everything in motion. Let's, let's make this happen. Sometimes we, we do a lot of European bands and they need to wait for their visas to clear and things of that nature. Cause if they, if their visas don't clear, they won't be coming over. Uh, so that tends to delay stuff, but, or you just said, you know, Unfortunately, you just have a forgetful lead singer who, yeah. <laughs> it was his job to do it, but, but kind of had other priorities. And then at the last minute said, oh, shoot, we need merch. Is there a, a merch that jumps out to you as you thought, that'll never sell? I can't imagine why anyone would want to order these. And then they just want like hotcakes. You know, it's it's funny. Um, I, uh, socks have always been one of those things where I'm like, geez, people really want to buy socks at a rock and roll show, but you, they they sell. Um, it's definitely an item that that, that crushes and and will sell through quite a bit of them. And never yeah, thought. it's it's funny you say that. There, there are some things you expect to see, right? You expect to see the flag. You expect to see the t-shirt. You mm-hmm. expect to see the shot glasses, like you mentioned. Right. Socks are not something I would think. Yeah. But, and they do, and they do well when when bands have them out. Um, especially with the sublimated, you can go full color, you know, a sublimated sock with with all of the graphics right on there, and they'll do pretty well. How about something that you've thought? I don't know why people don't ask for this. Why they don't? You know, if someone came to you and said, "What's the piece of merch I should be selling?" You know, it's always it's funny because I've always been trying to get my bands to to take beach balls out. Because I think it would be cool, like to have like you're at a concert, then and I'm always a big fan of like seeing beach balls flying around, and they and they never take them, and I'm like, geez, you guys should do beach balls with your logos on them, and then next thing you know, there's beach balls flying around the crowd, and you know, and never get them. And you're the one that didn't get it, get to walk away with it, so you go over to the merch table and buy one. Right, totally. Business has been good. Business has been really good. Yep. Uh, I know you you expanded recently. 
did, we moved over to the to Summersworth. Uh, we're on Route 108, uh, right outside of the Oaks uh, Golf Course, 433. 108 in Summersworth. It's the old Sumner printing building. And it was a similar situation with that. We were looking to expand because our our capacity, we have a 40,000 square foot facility here in Dover, and we were getting to capacity with all of our shows coming in, doing all the housing of the, of the goods, shipping it out, plus all our printing was there. So we needed to expand and we wanted to expand by moving our printing over to another location and keeping the housing of the goods and everything in Dover to ship a ship fulfillment center in Dover. So as we were looking, we, we first wanted to expand in Dover. We went and had everything looked at. They surveyed the land. And unfortunately, we have a lot of wetlands right. where we're at. So we couldn't really expand. Uh, so the next thing was, okay, construction, you know, developing a new site with and, and a new, new spot in Dover. Well, um, that that's a lot of money at this point and, and time really we needed to we needed to move pretty quickly rapidly so we looked into doing a lease so we're leasing that in, in Summersworth it, it ended up being a, another great scenario where we walked into uh, to a place where Sumner Printing did all of the uh, printing for uh, Denny's doing the napkins doing print media for them um, napkins menus things like that so they were printing facility as well. So they had a lot of, everything was outfitted from airlines, drainage, everything that we kind of needed to move our production over. So it was another perfect fit for us. We moved it all over there and we, and we didn't do it at our most busiest time either. We <laughs> learned a lesson from the, from the first time. Well, that's good. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's great to hear you want to expand, but I, it, I almost cringe when any Whenever a business comes to us and says we want to expand, I think the the climate right now between lumber, labor, and financing is just so constraining. If you can find an existing building to expand into, you're going to look at that option. You're lucky in that you were able to find one within a couple miles, uh, regardless, and Mike Davis is a great guy, so I'm glad that uh, you were able to hook up with him. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It sounds like you were able to find a spot that was uniquely set up for you. So congratulations on that. Yeah, Mike Davis is is a phenomenal human. Uh, he's just a great guy um, all around. You couldn't ask for a better landlord, really. I mean, you know, in, in like you were saying, in this environment, it just wasn't in the cards, you know, with the market and the way it is and just the timing and everything just kind of, again, just kind of fell into place. And, and, you know, it's, it's really working out. How are you finding the labor force right now? You know, it's, it's a challenge. Um, I got to be honest with you. It's, it's a real challenge for us um, with Dover kind of moving from blue collar to white collar. It's really challenging for us to find that trade, to find those blue collar workers. What we've been, you know, just recently, you know, I've been investing a lot in equipment. I've been investing a lot in the facility, you know, leasing a spot. Um, But one thing that we found is we weren't investing in our people. And so last year we, you know, we raised our our rates, you know, our pay rate rate across the board, 10% for everybody that worked for us. So we went in and said, you know, we want to give back to you guys. Well, you know, since then, you know, I've been looking at production specifically and seeing, you know, what other screen printers are making across the country and saying, you know, I think we're, I think we need to invest a little bit more in the, in these people. So we've recently done that and revamped salaries for all of our production 
and then took out ads saying that we're paying this amount. And in the first weekend that we put the ads out, you know, experienced screen printer, we got 60 applications. Whereas before we were getting six. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's made a huge difference. If you're going to invest in your people, you're going to get, I feel that you're going to get quality people. What's the average age of an employee? Gee, that's, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's, Typically, from early 20s to, to early 30s, I have to say. And we get some old dogs there, too, yeah. you know, like myself. She's <laughs> just thinking like me. Um, what I love about what you've talked about is you see a challenge, you investigate the challenge, then you overcome the challenge. And, and I've got to think that that is your mantra, whether it's the space is not big enough or... I've got to get this out by 2 a.m. Yeah. Or I need to make sure my employees stay with me. A hundred percent, man. There's no, there's no quit. You know, it's just, you got to grind it out. And I have great partners too. You know, there's four of us. We're all on the same, you know, on the same level as far as our thinking. Um, I'm based here in New Hampshire. Uh, my other two partners, my other three partners, uh, Jeff, Tiff, and Pete, they're based outside of uh, New Hampshire. Jeff is in Rhode Island, Tiffany's in Florida, and Pete is in New York. But we meet multiple times during the week, and we get on Zoom calls, we get on the telephone, we talk. You know, any challenges that we have, you know, we, we get on a quick phone call, you know, figure out what's going on, and, you know, set up the marching orders, and, and, and away we go. How did COVID affect? Oh, COVID, COVID was... Right? There's no... Oh, that was insane. COVID was insane. So we... You know, they shut everything down. They shut live entertainment down. So we really needed to pivot. And we came up with a, our artist, Elise, actually came up with the idea. She had seen something in Keene where there was a company that was doing a, if you buy a t-shirt for $20, $10 goes to the business, $10 goes to the company to pay for the printing, to pay for the cost of the shirt. So we did a Seacoast rescue thing that we did during COVID. So all of the local businesses like Harvey's, Fury's, mm. all the local businesses, right. we went around and we talked to them and we said, hey, we're gonna set up a web store. You know, if you know, talk to your patrons, have them purchase a shirt, half of the money will go to you. And it was a huge success. I think we raised close to $40,000 for, uh, for for local businesses doing that. And in turn, kept my presses going. Like, you know, um, I'd come in, we'd do pickups. You know, if people wanted to pick them up on Saturday mornings, I'd come in and wait for people to come in. And I would safely go to their car with a mask on and throw it in their back seat and away, and away they would go. Um, and we did that for a while. We also did, you know, with COVID, we're fortunate where we do all of the web fulfillment right. for all of our acts or 90% of our acts. So all of Broadway. So that really picked up, you know, everybody was at home, you know, everybody was at home and, and they were just shopping on the web. So from the live entertainment side of our business went down and our web fulfillment went up immensely. Um, we were also fortunate that it's tough to say this, but a lot of merchandise companies didn't plan and weren't, you know, didn't really, once COVID hit, they were kind of like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. So we absorbed a, a few acts um, during that, during that time, because, you know, these uh, clients needed a place to go. And, you know, through our connections and just working in this industry for over 20 years, you know, your name gets out there. 
So we absorbed a few acts. Uh, a couple of those acts were some Scandinavian rappers. Um, they're named Young Lean, Echo 2K. There was a few. There's a few different ones that came through, and they would drop vinyl, and they would drop limited edition uh, T-shirts that they would say, "Okay, we're only going to sell these for a certain amount of time. Like we'll open up the web store, and you know it's going to be a drop, and then once these are gone, they're gone." Yep. And they would sell an immense amount of product in a very small amount of time. So that was another lucky venture that we went into, really, that helped us through. And then once co- once once they started opening up, you know, venues again and live entertainment, it was like opened up the floodgates. Yeah, we opened up thirty six Broadway plays in a matter of three months, where we would even come close to that. Um, you know, so it was just full on. Once it once it opened up, it was like bring everybody back. Um, we went down to three employees at one 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 time. So it was me, my production manager at the time, and our office manager. You know, doing the doing the customer service. I would do the fulfillment, and she would do the shipping, and that's every day. We just go in and plug it away when we were furloughing. When we furloughed our employees, um, and then we slowly started bringing them back. And then, fortunately, we brought back. You know, I'd say about eighty to ninety percent of our of that's our great. former staff came back and, and once uh, once we were able to bring them back and once the workload commanded it. And since then, it's been off to the races. You know, we hit these experiences with the uh, Beyond Van Gogh right after that, and that's been a great, a great success for us. And I've got to think that where, where it looks like the entertainment industry is going, you're going to see more of those immersive experiences. And again, people will want that merch as well. It certainly seems that way. Yeah, it looks like that's the trend right now. That's the hot, the hot item, you know, to get in there and, and really, uh, really immerse yourself in, the, in those paintings. And then even with like the friends and things like that going. Into, yeah, that, that's, I'm curious about those sorts of It's things. really cool. They're really cool. Out. Yeah, they're really cool. In the office with going through Dunder Mifflin, it's, yeah. it's really cool. So what's next for Forward Merch? How do you move forward? What's your uh, your next venture as far as are you in the right size spaces now or do you still, you, you know, for- there's always room, you know, there's always room for improvement. You know, we're always looking to expand. Um, I would say that, you know, this this immersive experience thing is really starting to hit. I, I, I'd see us expanding into that. The Broadway sector is uh, is also growing, um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, just chugging away with the with the bands that we have you know there's always new bands that are that are coming that are coming through and it's cool and it seems like every week we get hit up with with a new band that needs some merch so you know just staying good at what we do and that and that's printing and fulfilling um merchandise so can a listener go to your website and then from there get to the web store for the bands or do they need to go to a band's? They, they can do they can do both. So we have for merch.com and we also have JSR Direct. So JSR Direct is more of our metal side of things yep. where forward merch is more of the, like you'll see like a Weird Al and, yeah. and, and things like that. And then uh, Broadway merch is, is another, um, oh, Broadway merch is another avenue that you can get the, um, get the goods from. Cool. Well, I appreciate the enthusiasm, and I love that you've continued to have a strong presence in Dover, and I'll just trust that you look to expand here first. 100%. (laughs) And uh, I'm wondering, as we wrap up, if there's anything you want the listener to know, anything you want to share as uh, 
we wind down our, our episode here. No, I think that's I think that's it. You know, Dover's been my home and, and will continue to be for, for as long as I can see. I, we love it here. Cool. So, thank you for the time. Appreciate yeah, I appreciate it. you coming in. I love exposing a story that most people probably don't realize is sitting in their backyard, especially if they live on Sixth Street. Yeah, it's pretty wild when, when people come in and they and they're like, Oh, you do Hamilton merch right here in Dover, New Hampshire. So yeah, it's 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 nice to see that reaction. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you very you. much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. This week, in 1677, the residents of Dover made a bold appeal to the King of England. The residents were keen on remaining under the jurisdiction of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, a wish rooted deeply in the region's unique history and prevailing circumstances. The relationship between New Hampshire and the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a complex one, which reflected larger colonial dynamics. Early on, New Hampshire and Maine were part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Beginning in the 1640s, Massachusetts Bay Colony expanded its territory, asserting control over regions north of the Merrimack River, bringing early settlements of what would later become New Hampshire under its administration. Maine's integration followed a similar narrative during the 1650s, further extending the colony's domain to nearly all of present-day Maine. The residents of Dover, content under the governance of Massachusetts, were spurred into action by fears of a shift in political control. Their petition to the king, bearing 34 signatures, was a testament to their loyalty, yet a firm expression of their wish to remain under Massachusetts' rule. This sentiment was not unfounded. The Massachusetts Bay Colony had grown to be the largest and most influential in New England, providing a semblance of stability amid the tumultuous colonial era. Life in Dover during this period was intertwined with the larger socio-political dynamics of the time. The economic leverage drawn from the Cochico and Bellamy Rivers, especially after the establishment of a sawmill in 1642, was a hallmark of Dover's flourishing economy. As the leaves of autumn fell in 1677, the humble petition from Dover's residents carried with it the collective hopes of a community seeking to navigate the currents of colonial politics. Their plea, a small yet significant part of the broader colonial narrative, reflected an enduring spirit of self-determination that would come to define a new nation's ethos in the centuries to follow. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Have a great week.